right, get your Bibles open to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So excited about this series. I hope you're being encouraged, and I hope you're really encouraged today as we talk about gifting. Um, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 in just a moment. But some of you were new uh, this week and, and uh, did not get to hear the, the initial kickoff. Good job. Keep that up. We like to hear that. You will not bother me at all. Come on up with those coins. All right. Uh, last week, we kicked it off in James chapter 1, verse 17. And James 1, 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And I gave you four principles based on this verse, and I just want to hit them really quick. First, first one was this, False gods are takers, but the one true and living God is a giver. Can anybody say amen to that? I just wanted, I, I wanted to drive that home because I felt such a, a uh, passion for the glory of God that we distinguish the true God from all the false gods. Every false god in this world wants something from you, wants to take from you, but God Almighty is, is the one true God, and He is a generous, giving God. And we need to get that in our spirits. The favor of God is on our lives. The blessing of God is on our lives. The goodness of God is on our lives. And here's the second point. God's gifts come to us out of the overflow of his greatness. And I've encouraged you to move in faith regarding your own personal finances because if you want to be generous and you want to be a giver, you can't be generous if you don't have anything. Does that make sense? You can't be generous if you don't have anything. So why does God desire to bless us? Why does God... Out of the overflow of who he is, why does he give us gifts? Because he wants that to be the model for our lives. We want to be people that are overflowing with the goodness of God and blessing other people, not just with, with resources, but with our time, with our gifting. So God, God's gifts come from the overflow of his greatness. Third point, God's gifts are expressions of his grace, which means we don't receive anything uh, uh, by virtue of our own merit. We don't earn it. This is huge, so get out. I, I, I still deal with people that have this mentality. You know, if I do this for God, will he maybe do this for me? That's religion speaking. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus did everything for us at the cross, which means that as a result of what he's done, we live in the grace of God. We live in the favor of God. Are you with me on this? You don't, you don't have to ask for that. That's who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. Everything you get, you get because of the goodness of God. So that the word for grace and the word for gifts in the Bible are, are the same word. God's gifts are his gracious deposits in us. You didn't earn any of it. It's just a gift, which leads to the last point, which is pretty exciting. God is more awesome than his gifts. Every gift that we see, every week, and we're going to see all kinds of gifts, right, happening in this place every week and happening out in the marketplace. Every gift leads us back to the one who gave it. And if you're amazed at somebody's gift, think about how amazing is the person who gave it. And that was the point. You know, we don't run around, let me show you my engagement ring. Let me show you my wedding ring. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? If, you, if all you're focused on is the ring, and you forgot who gave it to you, that the one who gave it to you is greater than the ring, you're, you're messed up, all right? So here's the deal. We don't focus on our, our natural gifting and then lose sight of the God who gave it to us. And I shared with you last week, every person in this room has been incredibly gifted by God. Part of what you need to learn is who you are, how God's graced you, and then what you learn to do with that gift. And so today we're gonna look in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, 
a very popular verse. You all, it's one of those, I, I like to say, refrigerator verse. We have certain verses we like to put on our refrigerator. This is one of them, all right? How many of you know there's certain other verses that never make our refrigerator? Just messing with you. All those verses about having to suffer at times and take up your cross and all that, those verses aren't usually on our refrigerator. But this one's on your refrigerator. We're going to talk about this one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Man, I could stop right there. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. This is amazing. You are God's masterpiece. I want to lay out four truths from this passage today. And I want to place the emphasis. You know, when, when, uh, when you do Bible study, one of the things they teach you is to take a verse. Okay, so we're going to take this verse. You are God's masterpiece. One of the things that you do is you emphasize each of those words. So we could say, you, right, are God's masterpiece. We could say, you are God's masterpiece. We could say, you are God's masterpiece. We could say, you are God's masterpiece. Whatever you emphasize sheds a little bit different light on the verse. But here's what I want you to see. The Bible says you are, let's say that again, you are, I'm driving home something here. You are a masterpiece that finds its origination and source in an amazing being called God Almighty. You're not just a masterpiece. That could be a nice, you know, self-esteem message. You're wonderful. You're special. Yay. No, that, that won't last very long, but this will last you forever. You are God's masterpiece, which is where the source of your worth and where the source of your gifting comes from. Notice that if you go to an art museum, any of you been to an art museum before? Some of us are more sophisticated than others. I put myself in the other category. I was invited to the art museum one time with my very sophisticated Aunt Mary Sue, and I just stayed real close to her and acted like I knew what I was doing. You know, when you walk up to a piece of art, you're supposed to stare at it and meditate and contemplate. It's kind of like the same thing when somebody pops a hood on a car, you know, you for me, it's the same experience, whether it's the engine or a Rembrandt. I just go. <laughs> but, um, but here's the point. The more sophisticated one's t- taste is, right, the more beauty and the more glory that you see. But you don't fall in love with the piece of art hanging on the wall, which is a masterpiece. The reason it's a masterpiece is the one who painted it, the one who created it, has exceptional gifting, so much so that people throughout the centuries are standing looking at their art. How many of you know that's the idea? The, the, the piece of art should point us back to Rembrandt or to whoever it is that we're looking at, all right? That's about the, also the extent of my knowledge to pull names out of my remembrance, but you all know what I'm saying, all right? Help me out, Kate. All right. Um, so the art points us back to the artist who created the masterpiece, and you and I are the same way. We're masterpieces, and I want you to hear this. We're created by God, and we're also created for God. In fact, that word masterpiece in the NLT, which is what I've got up there, it's also rendered in other passages, uh, King James Version, workmanship, work of art. It's the Greek word from which we get our English word poem. And I love the way the Passion Translation kind of picks up on that. It says this, and it's so colorful, isn't it? We have become God's poetry. Isn't that a beautiful way of describing you? You and I are a poem written by God. To, and, and you know, when, when people sit down and write poetry, uh, they do so to express 
that the passion of their heart to express the nuances of whatever it is that they're describing, and they describe it in a colorful, beautiful way. It's not just words. It's words that have been put together in such a form that they come off in a very colorful, awesome way. But they express the heart of whoever it is that's writing. I want you to know that when you look in the mirror, what you're seeing is a poem written by God that expresses the delight in his heart for you and the joy in his heart for you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We don't usually get up when I look in the mirror. That's not, I don't go, wow, I'm a poem today. Usually I'm trying to get my eyes open. I'm trying to brush my teeth. I used to comb my hair. You understand what I'm talking about, but uh, we don't look in the mirror and go, wow, I'm a delightful poem written and expressed from the depth of God's heart. But the fact of the matter is we need to think that way more often because that's actually who we are. We have become his poetry. Now, when you think of the word masterpiece, I want you to think of several things with me. First of all, this is amazing. You existed in the mind of the artist before you were created. Look what Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says. I knew you, God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. This is a beautiful thing about anything that describes masterpiece or a work of art and and it and this is why evolution is such a stupid waste of ink and waste of ideas is because evolution says you're just an accident but masterpieces are not accidents in fact if you go to the modern museum of art you see a lot of art that should not be called masterpiece because you and I could grab a bucket of paint or we could hand a bucket of paint to monkeys and have the monkeys throw it on the wall and that's what you get. And people walk by and go, mmm, lovely. Are you kidding me? It looks like a hurricane blew through a paint store. And that's what you get on the wall. And I know there's some incredible philosophy behind what's being expressed. But let me just tell you what it looks like. It looks like someone threw paint on the wall. That's not a masterpiece. That is a mess. In most places, we clean that up. Modern art museums, you just go, wow, all right, all right. But anyway, I'm not going to get off on that. Um, hey, come on, I need a name. Thank you, Kev. Thank you. Masterpieces come from the mind of the master. Uh, I love what it said about Michelangelo. They were watching him chisel a great work of art, and all that was there was a block of stone, and he said, basically, I'm releasing an angel from this stone. God sees the angel inside the block of stone. When God looked at you, he knew you. Check this out. He knew you before he formed you which means this is radical. You existed in the mind of God long before the creation of the world. Isn't that amazing? God knew you before you knew you or anybody else knew you. God knew you. We just need to pause here. Some people are like, man, I wish I could just have somebody that understood me. God knew knew you inside and out before he ever spoke you into existence. And not just knew you... That word new has the idea, again, of the knowledge that leads to creating, all right? The fashioning, the shaping of who you are, which should drive home the point, again, that you're somebody very special in the eyes of God because the author knew you before he formed you. You existed in his mind and you existed in his heart. He's not making you something, uh, This I'm sorry, he is making you something not only useful, but beautiful. Useful speaks of our gifting. Beautiful speaks of our character. That's what makes us poetic. We are beautiful and we are useful. Those two things come together and we get an amazing poem written by God. 
So God can look at you and he can see what you're going to become before you've actually gotten there. And this is something beautiful about who we are. And this is something beautiful about the power of, of, of words. How many of you know sometimes God speaks a prophetic word over our lives and he's not speaking to who we are, he's speaking about who we're going to become. In other words, things take time. You know what, I've, I've known people that they've had godly people in their lives that spoke things over them when they were just little. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They said, boy, I see this in you, or you're gonna, you're gonna become this, or whatever, or I see you have a calling on your life, or I see you have a real gift in this area, and they spoke those words over that person's life. How many of you know those words have the power to create something in that person's heart? The flip side is also true. Some of you have been victimized by people who have spoken words of death, curse words over your life. And instead of seeing the angel coming out of the block, all they could see was the block. And how many of you know you don't need to surround yourself with people that just see blocks? You need to surround yourself with people who see who it is that, that you're becoming. And, uh, and that's what God has the ability to do. So even before Jeremiah was known or knew God, God knew him, God formed him, and God had a specific calling on his life and a specific gift mix that he placed into his life to perform what God had called him to perform. So it's the same thing with us, all right? Second point I want to bring out here is that you are a work that is absolutely unique and one of a kind. And, and this is stunning, and I want us to be stunned, all right? Everybody say, I promise to be stunned. Just tell me right now. I promise to be stunned. You have got to be stunned by this. We have to think deeply. Every one of us, I said, unique, one of a kind, special, limited edition, which is why, check this out. When I tell you, Ed, you're God's favorite, don't let it go to your head because there are other favorites in this room. In fact, every one of you is God's favorite. I tell my kids that, Katie, you're my favorite. What does that mean? I have eight kids. Katie is my favorite Katie in the whole wide world because there's only one of her. And God can love us all to the max, and we're all absolutely most special in God's heart because here's why. There's only one of you. I was just in jury duty this week. Everybody say, oh, all right, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was rough. Um, and for three days, they brought in a forensic specialist on fingerprints. And I didn't know this. Now, we all know fingerprints are special. That's how we determine who people are, right? Because fingerprints are unique. I didn't know this. Identical twins have different fingerprints. I didn't know that. There, and check this out. There's like six billion or so, give or take, people on planet Earth just now. No two people have the same fingerprint. No two people have the same DNA. Nobody in the history of people has had the same fingerprints. Now, I just, just want to ask a really dumb question. How does evolution make that happen? This is why. This is why I'm not going to go there. All right, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be a Christian. Every scientist should be on their face worshiping God just when they look at their fingerprints. Even Charles Darwin got weak-kneed when he looked in the mirror and saw his eye and how his eye responds, and he's like, that one's going to be tough to explain by accidental, random chance mutations over gazillions of years with no intelligence behind it. Even Charles Darwin had problems with the human eye. We should, every time we look at ourselves in the mirror, we should be worshiping. And when you realize that the uniqueness of who you are, that there's only one person that's you in all of human history, 
that should fill you with an incredible sense of dignity and worth and value. Does anybody get, get what I'm talking about here today? No one should be sitting out here going, oh, well, it's just me and I'm not that special. God went through the effort to make you, you. This is your show. This is your time on planet Earth. There will never be another person like you on planet Earth ever in the history of Earth or in the history of people. This is you. You're here now. Wow. How about this? You're here in this church. And let's just talk about DNA for a moment. I'm going to talk about it in a way that we all can understand. How many of you have ever eaten at at Taco Bell? True confession. Some of you aren't proud of it. I understand. But be honest, all right? Taco Bell, you made a run for the border at some point in your life. All right. I'm going to pretend like we're now, Living Stones has been transformed into a Taco Bell. And each of you are menu items, all right? Now help me out. If we're putting Taco Bell DNA together, what goes into Taco Bell DNA? Help me out. We have meat. We're not sure what it is, but it's meat. It's ground up. It's meat cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, soft shell, hard shell, green stuff that resembles guacamole or something like that, spices. All right. How many of you know we have maybe, maybe 10 ingredients, right? Beans. All right. How can we forget beans? All right. Beans. Maybe 11 ingredients. But there are like 97 items on their menu. And every time Taco Bell comes out with a new menu item, what stuns me is that they never go off those same 10 ingredients. So here's what they do. They go, new Taco Bell Crunch Wrap. Well, what is that? They took a normal taco, dropped it in a soft-shell taco, smeared beans on it, stuck it together like mortar. Now we have a new menu item. We didn't add any more ingredients. We just reconfigured the existing. Taco Bell is a sign and a wonder to me. I mean, every time I walk in there, I'm just like, whoa, how do you guys do this? Whoa, this is amazing. Now, I mean, you know, DNA takes it to a whole new level. Because DNA means with all that crazy stuff going on that makes you you, there will never be anybody that's like you, which again screams at the creative genius of God. This is amazing. So here's the deal. You've got a heart God's given you, abilities God's given you, personality, experiences, all the ingredients of Taco Bell mixed into you, and you are an absolutely unique menu item. So what are we trying to say? Quit trying to be somebody else. Quit trying to And how about this? Here's what we do all the time. We take whatever our lead gift is and we try to superimpose it on everybody else and suggest everybody else needs to be like us. Why are we doing that? You are a unique, one-of-a-kind being who expresses the glory of God and the gift mix of God and the personality of God like no one else on planet Earth. Why in the world would I want you to act like anybody else? In fact, as soon as you do, you know, you just lost your identity and you lost your beauty, and you lost the unique poetry that God's trying to write through your life. So how about this? Can we just look around? Because the people around you right now, front row, back row, side, you know, sometimes you say, look to the right, and everybody everybody looks at the back of a person's head. All right, don't do that. But look at the people around you right now. Take some time, because these are masterpieces, all right? Just tell them, oh, you're awesome. Come on, have some fun. You're awesome. You're awesome. Tell them that. Come on. Some of you are not being good masterpiece looker-atters. Hey, Lori, you're kind of sitting there 
You are awesome. I just want you to know that. You're a masterpiece. We need to get used to telling people that. All right, check out the next one. You're an exquisite work of art, which means that you're priceless. You know, this is another thing about modern art, uh, the Andy Warhol version of art, is that everything is mass-produced. And so you just... But how many know the stuff that's really valuable is one of a kind? You're not mass-produced. I've heard people say, you're, you're unique like everyone else. You know, and they make a joke like you're really not unique. No, you really are unique. You're like nobody else. Uh, and the fact that you're like nobody else adds value to you because it means that you're irreplaceable. Are, you, are some of you all hearing what I'm saying? Some of you got this lousy self-esteem and you're like, how's oh, God going to use me? And I don't have any gifts. And I'm telling you, stop it. Here's, here's why I'm yelling, stop it. Because you're insulting the artist. Not because, oh, you know, feel sorry for me. Stop it! If you're believing what I'm saying this morning, then what you should be doing is be saying, God, help me understand who I am. Help me understand how you see me. Help me, help me understand how you've wired me. Help me use my gifts for your glory. And we're, no, we're, we're putting away the pity party. We're putting away all this other stuff. I'm not good, blah, blah, blah. I wish I could be like that person. Stop it. You are valuable, precious, a masterpiece. One of a kind. Believe it. Is this because your pastor's telling you this? No, God's telling you this. Believe it. The sooner you believe it, the sooner you can get on with what God's called you to do. Look at what it says here in Psalm 139. You made, talking about God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. In fact, the next verse says, my frame was not hidden from you. And notice, I want you to see the balance of this. God's not only dealing on the inward parts, the inner being, but he also is the one that framed the way we look on the outside. The inner man has to do with our personalities, our mind, our will, our emotions, what we like, what we dislike, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses. The outer man has to do with our physical bodies, our appearance, our physical strength, our natural coordination, all those kinds of things. How many of you know God took care of the inner part of us, and he also took care of the outer side of us? And here's the deal. Most of the time, we spend our lives comparing ourselves with other people. Oh, I wish my legs were longer. Oh, I wish my hair was thicker. You know, I roomed with Dr. Jacobus in college. I would sit there studying at night as hair would fall into my books. And then he would say, oh, I need to set up an appointment to go get my hair thinned because it's too thick. It's sticking up funny. And at that moment, I would just have to pray a prayer in my heart. I, I will thin your hair. If you come over here, I will, I will personally thin your hair. Because, see, I was dealing with comparison. I mean, you know, comparison will kill us. God doesn't want you, I wish my nose were smaller. I wish my lips were bigger. Why don't you just start worshiping God that in his greatness and in his genius, he made you, you. And start liking who you are. And start feeling good about who you are. And start worshiping the master who made you as a masterpiece. That's what he wants. Come on. 
All right, very quickly here. This is important. You have been supernaturally gifted. Let's look at the next verse. Ephesians 2 10 says, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. There's actually two creations that God did in us, and I want you to see both of them as supernatural. How many of you know when you're born, we, we, take, we tend to call that kind of natural, but creation is not natural, it's supernatural. God wired you in certain ways. You have natural gifts that He gave to you by virtue of His supernatural creation of you. But how many of you know we, we're all twisted and we're broken, and then we have to be born again? So two different times, God gifts you supernaturally. He gifted you at creation, but he also re-gifted you at your new birth. And I want you to show, the, show you the difference here, because we're talking about natural gifts, and we're talking about spiritual gifts. We, so we talk about certain people being natural. That person's just a natural. What are we referring to? There, there, there's certain things in their life that they do, like Pastor Dix says, falling off a log. It's almost second nature to them. Certain people are just gifted in certain things, all right? And you all, every one of you has one of those giftings. Here's the problem with natural gifts. Fallen people who are self-centered take the gifting that God's put in their life and they build a false identity around the gift, not the giver. How many of you know those people? Let's say, take sports, for instance. How many of you know, ever know a professional athlete who spent all their life training for a certain sport and then they, they get an injury? And after they're injured, they can't perform at that level. Everything stops. What usually happens in their life, I'll tell you what happens. They go through a period of great disorientation. They go through a period of questioning who they are. Many of those athletes that made millions of dollars are flat broke because they had no transition plan into real life after they stopped playing sports because they built their whole identity around their gift. This is what we do as unsaved people. What do beautiful people do? Well, they go into modeling, they go into making movies, they go into whatever, uh, because they're going to use their external beauty, the gift they receive from God, they're going to monetize that and turn their whole identity. And so some of those people can be some of the most shallow people on planet Earth, because all they care about is how their nails look, or whether their cheeks are glowing. Are you kidding me? Like, there's, there's more things important in life than whether your cheeks are glowing, for God's sake. Or whether your nails look perfect. Are you kidding me? There's more important things in life. God didn't make you beautiful so you could stare in the mirror. But see, when, when we're fallen, we take the natural gifts of God and we build our whole identity around things that don't matter. And then, we, then here's what we do. We compete with each other to put each other down so we can be the best, look the best, make the most, be the most successful because we take our natural gifts and we beat other people up with it and we make other people feel less than because of who we are. We don't want to be one of those kind of people, amen? So take the natural, supernatural gifts and mix them with spiritual gifts. Now, when you're born again, and I want you to hear this, the Holy Spirit enters your life and brings spiritual gifts. Let me define what a spiritual gift is. It's a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace. He, he, he determines the measure for use within the context of the body. Spiritual gifts are endowments or they're special skills given by God that enable us to make our unique contribution. They're not natural talents, but check this out. They're divine abilities that enable us to do ministry. So when you got born again, guess who came to live inside of you? The Holy Spirit. Guess what the Holy Spirit does? He brings gifts. The Father brings gifts. The Son brings gifts. And the Holy Spirit brings gifts. Isn't this an amazing Godhead that we follow and love and serve? All of them are gift givers. And so every one of you, by virtue of the fact that you're born again, now has spiritual gifts 
supernatural gifts to go with your natural gifts. Let me show you how this works out in real life. You all remember a man by the name of Bethsael in Scripture. Uh, he was, uh, this is in uh, Exodus 31. Check this out. God says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. Isn't this amazing? So what happened here? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, this guy had some natural gifting in all those areas. Natural gifting. But here's what happened. God said, I'm going to put my spirit on you, and I am going to give you a supernatural supersizing of your gifts. I'm going to enhance what I've already placed in you. And notice what it says here. I want to, I want to be God-centered in this. Look at what it says in the first part of that verse. I have filled him, God speaking, I have filled him, giving him, look what God gave him, great wisdom, ability, expertise. Now let me share this with some of the men here. Sometimes guys that are hands-on kind of guys, they're craftsmen, they're good with their hands, uh, they come to church and they're like, man, I just don't know if I fit in church, you know, I'm not, I'm not really good maybe with my words, I'm, I'm not eloquent, I, I don't have this gift, that gift, I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, you know, where's God going to use me? How many of you know, some of you in what you do in the marketplace every day, you're displaying the glory of God over your life at the expertise that you have. And you need to understand that God doesn't have compartments like the real good gifts we use at church. No, 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 no. This is just one venue of of a thousand. When you leave here today and you go out there and you take who you are by nature and you take who you are by the supernatural, you're able to demonstrate the glory and the greatness of God. The gift, and I'm going to show you this when we get to Ephesians chapter 4. The gifts, uh, the ascension gifts that God gave us also have a very natural expression in the marketplace, not just in the church. There are people with apostolic anointing out in the marketplace. There are people with a shepherd's heart out in the marketplace. There are evangelists out in the marketplace. They're just selling products, not selling Jesus, all right? But, but they're, they're, they have an evangelistic anointing on their life, and, uh, and we need to be able to recognize these things. So you have supernatural gifts, natural gifts. How many of you know natural gifts and, and the gifts that God gives us? We can all learn how to express those better. So even when you receive a gift, God's not done with you. There's more to grow. There's more to learn. There's better ways to express it. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. Let me go quickly on to the next point. Number three, your gifts have a divine purpose. I want you to see what it says in our text today in Ephesians 2.10. It says, you're God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. Look, at here's the, here's the purpose. So that we can do good things. Everybody say good things. Good things. What's the good things? Your gifts are to bring God glory. They're to bring other people life. And they're to bring you joy. Isn't that good? They bring God glory. Everybody I touch should be blessed and served and brought to life by the gifting of God in my life. And how many of you know when you're bringing God glory and you're bringing life to people, you're a happy camper. You're feeling fully alive. And that's the way God wants us to be. You know, Jeremiah, go back to Jeremiah 1.5. I love this. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, I've had people take this verse uh, immature people, and they run with it. I say, hey, what, what's, what's God put in you? I'm called to be a prophet to the nation. Uh, all right, maybe not. At least not at this point. 
Why don't we focus on some foundational things? Are you with me? So I don't want you to use, use his call to be your call, but here's what I want you to see. Why did God create you anew in Christ Jesus? Because there are good works. There is a divine purpose that God has placed in your life to be part of this family on mission with God, and your gifts are to serve people and to bless people and to touch people and to bring God glory. So the gifts God gives have a, have a, a divine purpose attached to them. And how many of you know when we take a gifting from God, I, you know, I just got to make a comment here. Now this is in my notes, but the Lord just bringing this to my mind. How many of you know most of the pop rock stars, uh, uh, singers in our culture today, where did they develop their gift? How many of you know people like out in the world are not running around singing everywhere? Where do we learn to sing? Right here. What do we do every week? We sing our hearts out. Where do most of those people get their training? Where do most of them have their platform? Where did most of them learn to use the gift that God gave them? Right here. But then here's what happens. And then they sell their soul, and then they sing about things that don't bring glory to God, and then they use this incredible voice, and we all go, oh, what an amazing voice. What we should be saying is, God, if that's the way that person sounds, what must your voice sound like? I want to hear the voice of God. I want to hear the song of God. In fact, the Bible says God sings his song over us. I want to hear that, what that sounds like, Lord. Because that voice right there, wow. But here's what we should go. That picture on the wall, wow. Who painted it? That voice right there, wow. Who created it? God did. And you know, when you use your voice for the glory of God, or you use whatever skill set for the glory of God, then you're on purpose with God. That's when it gets to be really exciting. Let me end with this, point number four. Your gifts are part of God's greater plan. Notice he said we are called to do good things that he planned for us long ago. Now, this is stunning. This is that beautiful mixture between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. But can you just go with me here? When God thought of you before you even had DNA and a human body, along with the thought was a purpose. How many of you know God doesn't, we don't create anything apart from a purpose, right? I mean, everything that, this was created on purpose. Your cell phone was created on purpose. Anybody who invents something, invents something with a purpose in mind. Can I just tell you something? God created you on purpose. He had an idea in his mind of who you are. He specifically created you as a unique person, one of a kind, never will be anybody like you, ever. He planned good for your life, good works, an expression of God through us to bless other people. I mean, that was what God thought about us, which means, check this out, every one of us has a powerful calling on our lives to impact people. I'm going to say that again. Every one of you was created by God on purpose, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit for good works, check this out, that God already knows about. Now, in my life, as a younger believer, I even took the call of God and I perverted it through selfish ambition. I know none of, it, none of you have ever done that, but I, I actually thought that the call of God was about me. I actually thought my job was to help the Lord reach lots of people and build a great ministry. How many of you know some of that can get mixed up with our flesh? 
Sometimes God puts us on the shelf. Anybody ever been put on the shelf? Sometimes God lets us go through the valley of the shadow of death where we wonder, where is God? Let me tell you why God does all those things. To get our attention. And to let us know, this isn't about you. This is about me. And I want you to partner with me But God is very good at reminding us, like I shared last week, He doesn't need me. And by extension, He doesn't need you. So here's what I want you to understand. If we all decided we were going to be disobedient, turn our backs on God, say, forget this, I don't believe any of this, let me just pop everybody's bubble. God's plan and purpose is not going to stop. So here's the deal. Here's our choice. Either we cooperate with the master and we partner with God to be used by God to bring him great glory and us great joy and people great blessing. Or we just have a temper tantrum, sit on the sidelines, frustrate the grace of God in our lives. But here's what's not going to happen. You're not going to mess up God's plan. You're just going to mess up the amazing life God wanted for you. But God's kingdom doesn't come to a crashing stop just because of your, your, your disobedience or my disobedience. But I'll tell you this, I don't know about you, but it excites me to know that God's goodness is over my life. That God created me to be a blessing to you and you to be a blessing to me and us to be a blessing to each other and to the world. And there's good works. In other words, God wants to do great things through us. Stuff where we go, wow, wasn't that amazing? Impacting people, touching people. And he's already planned it out in advance. So this is what's cool. There came to be a certain point in my life where I stopped worrying about where I was on God's timetable. How many of you have ever had the thought, oh man, life is passing me by. I just feel like I've wasted so much of my life. I feel like I'm behind where I'm supposed to be. Can I just liberate you from all of that? Stop it. Why don't you just relax, submit to God, Enjoy the master and love people in the unique way God's called you to. And here's what I want to encourage you is going to happen. When you get to the end of this journey, you're going to look back and you're going to go, wow, I was doing what God had called me to do. I was a part of the plan that he had for me. And I just want to pop some more bubbles. The plan doesn't stop when you die. How many of you know the Phyllis at 93 years of age is just beginning to understand the gifts that God's placed in her life. I mean, Elmer, you're going to still be writing, you're going to write your best poetry in the next life. You've written some good poetry now. But, but the, the gifts God's placed in us are going to be enhanced forever, which should blow our minds. You never stop growing in your gifting and the expression of your gifting. We just get to start now. So here's the deal. You're God's masterpiece. I'm going to sound like my dad here now. Act like it. You're God's masterpiece. Act like it. Enjoy who you are. Get your eyes off yourself. Figure out how you, who you are blesses other people. Find enjoyment in being who you are. Don't let a pastor or anybody else tell you you need to be like them. You can't be like them. Don't let the person next to you tell you you need to pray more, you need to do this more, you need to, you need to witness more. You need to, relax, just be yourself. And enjoy being yourself and pursue God's heart for you. Listen to the poetry God is singing 
over your life. This is the foundation for the gifts that God's put in us. In the weeks to come, we're gonna start to unwrap the presence, and what's gonna emerge is gonna be really cool because you're gonna see in this place right here, there's such treasure that God has deposited. And here's the one thing I want you guys to get. What happens when we take all this treasure and we begin to let God weave it together for his purpose? Then you begin to see those good works and that purpose. Because check this out. None of us exist by ourselves. My gift has to work in unison with your gift and your gift and your gift for the maximum impact. That's the way God has ordered things. So I need you, you need me. And we just need to encourage one another. When you go out and see those cakes that are being created for Mother's Day, stand there and go, what? and then look at the one who created and say God has amazingly gifted you to express beauty and I'm so grateful I get to eat the beauty all right just tell her tell her that all right when you're eating some amazing food on the way out thank God he put taste buds on your tongue why did God do that taste buds did not evolve they serve no purpose other than our enjoyment eat the sandwich for the glory and here's what you do hallelujah Hallelujah. That's how you eat. You eat for the glory of God. Amen? And you hug the cook. Make sure you hug the cook. Stand to your feet. If you need prayer this morning for anything, we love you, and God the gift giver wants to touch you and wants to help you, all right? We we care for you, whatever season you're in. But I want you to know this. You're absolutely, incredibly valuable and precious to God, and you're precious to us, all right? Father, thank you for this amazing family. Bless us as we go. Lord, use us to meet all these different needs that are represented out in that lobby, Lord. We want to we see this, the nations of the world come to Jesus as King and enjoy you as the great gift giver. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.